0: This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. slipped out over to their youth program, but we are so proud of them. Well, today we start a brand new series. As you just saw uh, in that little bumper video, we're going to be looking at some of the uh, biggest questions that are being searched on the internet right now, questions that individuals are having. We began to look at what are some of the top questions that over the last two years has been registered uh, through uh, the search engines, and we're going to be talking about a lot of those topics. We're calling it searching, and today we're going to talk about one Big idea, an idea that, uh, uh, an issue that we have to solve today because before we can go into any other topics, we've got to settle in our heart this issue today. So the topic that we're going to be looking at today is, is there absolute truth? Is there absolute truth? In fact, you know, even Time Magazine had this on their cover a number of years ago. It was one of the questions that they dealt with in their issue on Time Magazine. Many are asking this question, is there absolute truth? Now, it's an apologetic uh, answer, and yet there is a biblical evidence that shows us. And so I know our service has slipped, but I want you to engage. I want you to get into the word with me. The key passage is 1 Corinthians, 15, 1 Corinthians 15, so take your Bibles or your devices and turn over there. Now, for those of you that are in person, we've gone back to paper outlines. We've gone back to outlines that you can take. I encourage you to use it. Fill it in, circle, words, circle, idea. star some things, things that maybe you want to study a little bit more later and engage with it. So many have asked us to come back with the paper outlines, so that's what we've done. Now, we still have the virtual outline, the online outline. You can get it from our app. Those of you that are joining with us virtually, uh, you can head on over to our app, and there you can download the outline. So today, we're going to be answering this question, is there app? absolute truth father as we open your word now I pray that you will illuminate it show us teach us help us to father embrace it today and in these few moments I pray that you would guide me as to what should be said what should not be said help me to articulate so that father I can adequately show that your word is the absolute truth that we can build our lives upon and all God's people said amen and amen This issue starts with the idea of authority. See, we're being told today that everything has equal authority, and yet we know that there are varying degrees of authority. For example, if you're driving down I-95 and you see a billboard that says pull off at the next exit, great restaurant or gas or whatever it may be, well, there is a message that's coming at you, but however, it may not have the same authority as if you're driving down I-95 and up behind you pulls a car with flashing lights and all of a sudden you hear pull over at the next exit. Same, different messages maybe, but not the same authority. If you saw a billboard, you may pull off, you may not, but if you see those flashing lights, you better pull over or pull off at the next exit. Can I just get an agreement in the house, you know? different levels of authority. Not everything has equal authority. Let me give you another illustration as we get started. In my hand, I have here a $100 bill. A $100, it's real, $100 bill. And I also have a $1 bill, a $1 bill. Now, are they equal in their buying power or their authority, so to speak, when you go to purchase? Well, no, they're not equal. The hundred dollars is more valuable than the one dollar. We all know that. If I were to say, come and you can have one or the other, you would reach over and take the hundred dollars if I was giving it to you. Am I right? You would, right? And if you, you know, if, if you were to give that given that opportunity, you would come. But now, what if I were to take the same one dollar bill? I'm gonna put them right here. I hope the camera is gonna be able to follow me. Here's the hundred. Now here's the $1 bill. What if I put two bills on the one? Are they equal in authority and buying power? What if I put three? Come on, interdact, 25. How about if I do 50? No, there we go, 75? A hundred? Yes, if I were to put $101 bills in my hand and I were to do a $100 bill, they're equal in authority. Can we agree to that today? Now, if tomorrow morning we were to wake up and we wake up to the news telling us that now, no matter what is written on a bill, they're equal value. If there's a 100 or a 10 or a five or a one, it doesn't matter what's on the bill, they're equal in their buying power. Well, you may say, well, that may never happen. That won't happen. Well, it will happen. Biblical times tell us it is going to happen. But the reality is they're same weight, the same paper, here, it'd be like me holding gold. It doesn't matter if I've got two bars of gold and one has one on it and one has a 1,000 on it. They're gold, and we know gold is power by its weight. So here are two bills, equal weight, same paper, same size, no difference to it. If we were to wake up tomorrow and say that they're equal in their power, their authority, their, their buying power, all of a sudden, money gets deflated by that. Now, what is more important? The more bills I've got. Are you with me here? Is my online audience with me? (laughs) What's more powerful, right? It's, it's the more bills at that time. Now you're looking at me going, well, that may never happen. And then I shocked you when I said it will, it will happen. And, and we're going to talk about that this summer when we look at end time events. But, but the reality is they have different numbers written on them, but they're not of the same authority at this moment but yet there may come a day that that might happen, and yet we see this and we begin to try to understand this big idea of what we're talking about today because the problem is not everything has equal authority in our lives, and yet society Society has kind of put us as believers in a box or maybe into a corner, and we've been told as long as you stay in that box and in that corner, as you're put there and, 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 and as you're in that spot, no matter what it is that's happening around you, we will accept you as long as you stay in your corner and in your box. But the moment you come out and you begin to talk about theology or God or morality or that there is one way to the Father and it's through Jesus Christ and you don't embrace what society is embracing, then we're going to reject you. And that is what we're facing today, is that as we, as believers, begin to venture through life and in the world, the world has told us in the philosophy of the world that governs the present day, especially American culture, it's built on some ideas that religious relative uh, relativism, that, that there is this idea that all religions are the same. So we're told that if we stay in our box the myth that all religions are the same, the moment we start saying, no, that's not true, that all religions are not the same, and we begin to point out the contradictions, but the world and the society would say, no, 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 Judaism, Satanism, Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhism, they're all the same, they're all the same, that's trying to help people get to God, well, That is a myth, and and we've got to understand that, but yet we're told that if we stay in our box, we're okay, but the moment we venture out, we're told in schools, we're told through media, we're told through all the things that are happening around us that we've got to accept and embrace and celebrate that that they would say is equal authority. And therefore, tolerance, and this is another myth, tolerance is then of great value. And tolerance is even valued over uh, things like honesty and loyalty and trustworthiness. That, That as long as we tolerate one another, not only just tolerate one another, but now we're being pushed. And as we're being pushed out of our box, we're being pushed not only to embrace other religions, but to celebrate to celebrate them, their practices, their ways, and that which they do. And that is a myth today that we have to blend in and blend in by being tolerant and accept and embrace everyone. Their ideas are as equal to your ideas, and so you embrace it. Now, as I'm talking today, there might even be some conflict that's happening within you because in the classroom, through the books that we maybe get in university, through what is promoted on television, especially through the media, so often is pushing tolerance. Tolerance in every different area. And before we know it, it begins to bleed in. So where we used to be okay if we stayed in our box and in our corner, now it's bleeding in to where we're at and believers are beginning to believe What was once rejected, when you got out of your box, you would see it and reject it, now is coming in to the very place that we would stand. And therefore, the third myth is that there are no absolutes. It's a denial of absolute truth. It's the hallmark of modern thinking. It's taught in the schools, it's in the media, it's the popular opinion. And even though the word of God, God's word would say in Psalms 119 that your commands can be trusted and everything about you can be found in the word, today we're being told. It's come into our realm now. It's not just when we get out of the box, but it's come into the box. It's come in and it's telling us there is no absolute truth. And therefore, if we can't trust the Bible, how do you build your life? If you can't trust the absolute authority of God's word, how do you have a guidebook or guidelines or something that will point you and show you the way? Well, what happens is now we're not in the box, we're out of the box and we become our own God. We make our own way. We decide what we're going to accept or reject and we might like something and reject something else and that is accepted as okay. You see, I could sit here and tell you today that I don't believe in gravity. I could tell you all day, I don't, I don't believe in gravity. Now you're looking at me and say, it doesn't matter if you believe it or not, gravity is real, right? I'm only four feet from here but, and, and, and I'm gonna drop it, you guys leave it, it's okay, I'll pick it up later. It's not the hundred so you don't have to like run after it and think you're gonna get your, you know, your lunch today. Here we go, I don't believe gravity is real. It's like being in the box, getting out of the box and saying, I don't believe the Word of God is the absolute truth. Well, the reality is, we've got to be convinced of some things because there are some things that are true if I believe it or not. I don't believe in gravity. Well, the proof is there. That bill fell. If I jump, I'm falling. Doesn't matter how filled with the Holy Ghost I am, I'm going down. And it's not slain in the spirit, I'm going down, <laughs> right? It is, it is a fact, gravity is a fact. And therefore today in our few moments, and I know that our time has slipped and I hope that our patience will hold, because this is so important today, is I've got to help us to understand and believe and see why we can trust the Bible. Now, you're taking notes and I hope you are. I wanna give you a few thoughts today before I take you to 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15, Paul is dealing with the same issue I'm dealing with now, he's just not using the same term. So I'm gonna get there in a moment, but I wanna tell you a few reasons why I believe you can trust the Bible. Why I believe it is the absolute truth of God's word, it's the absolute truth for our lives, the truth of his word is the absolute truth for our life. First of all, the reason I believe that you can trust the Bible is it is historically accurate you taking notes write that down what do you mean well it's true history this is real history it's not fables it's not made up stories it's not make believer magical these are real stories it's true history real people real places real times real locations In fact, there are so many other literatures and books through the ages that show that this, the things that the Bible talks about, really happen. It's historically accurate. Now, when you make a claim like that, that usually has to be backed up by a few things. If you say something is historically accurate, the first thing and the most powerful evidence or proof that it is historically accurate is are there eyewitnesses? Are there others that can claim it? Well, the beautiful thing about the Word of God, the Bible that we have, is that the Bible is primarily eyewitness accounts. When you read it, it was individuals that was there. Other literature will confirm what they would have said in what we call the Bible, the story of Moses at the Red Sea, Joshua at the walls of Jericho, disciples in the upper room, Matthew, John, Mark, Luke, writing about the life of Jesus, Jesus's own mother. All of these are eyewitnesses. And we're gonna see in a few moments, I'll read to you, where there were over 500 eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the the account of his resurrection and his appearing to them after the resurrection. So if you're going to prove something historically, one of the most powerful, powerful proofs of history is eyewitnesses. But a second thing that I think makes historically the word of God so powerful is that the bible in its passing through the generations and 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 from the ancient days to today there was such accuracy and precision in the in the passing of god's word The scribes, because we know they didn't have printing press, they didn't have copy machines or computers like we would have today. So the, the translation and the, and the transcribing of the, of of the scriptures, the word of God was taken as a very, very, it was a profession and it was a very, very, um, serious, serious job that the scribes would have had. They would have, as they were writing it word for word, they would have the, the, the document that they, were, that they were copying and they would be writing the copying uh, uh, word for word. If you go with us to Israel, we will go up to Megiddo, the mountain of Megiddo, and they will have a scribe that's there and he's writing letter from letter. He's still doing it as they would have done it in ancient days. And there was a long list of rules that the scribes would have followed to make sure that the word of God was accurate. So many letters in a line, so many letters and words in a book, they would know what was the middle letter, the middle letter, not only word, but letter in the whole book that they would have been writing. And they would count and they would get to the middle. And if it wasn't the letter that should have been the middle letter, they would have thrown it out and started all over again they would have counted how many A's, for example, are in that book. And if they had one more or one less that should have been there, they would have thrown it out and they would have started it again. I mean, over and over again. Well, it started to be doubted that the word of God historically was accurate until about 1963, when a shepherd boy was walking around the Dead Sea area, and as he was walking around the Dead Sea area, there's caves up in the mountain, uh, and, and, and they're large. I mean, they're, like, they're just large, uh, what would you call it? Just like walls of rock. I mean, you can't even hardly climb up there, but there was caves up there, and he was just playing around, and he was throwing rocks up into these caves, and as he threw a rock, he heard pottery that, was, that broke with the rock he realized that something was there and found, found his way getting up there and they found what's called the Dead Sea Scrolls. If you ever get a chance, go do some research on it and, and read about it. The Dead Sea Scrolls was one of the most powerful discoveries that we've had in, in modern times because what they found in the Dead Sea Scrolls that were, that were proven to be hundreds and even, uh, even uh, 2,000 years old, what they found was the accuracy of what we have as the word of God to what was in those Dead Sea Scrolls. If you ever go with us to Israel, and I hope you will, you cannot walk through Israel. And as we go walking through Israel, you can't walk through Israel without believing that this is a historical book. I will walk you through. We will take you through. I will walk you and show you. Our our our, our uh, tour guide will take you in the scriptures and show you. This is the this is the exact plot. This is the exact thing. And he'll begin to show it to you in the Word of God. And you'll see hundreds of years of archaeology and caves, and and you'll begin to look into the uh, into the scripture, and you and you'll see that this is Hezekiah's. This is Hezekiah's tunnel. And he'll begin to show you why that tunnel is there, it's phenomenal. In fact, he told me a few years ago, if you can bring teenagers, if you can bring teenagers, I guarantee you when they finish their tour of Israel, their faith will be solidified because they will see the truth and the accuracy of the word of God that before they go to college and some philosopher begins to tell them there is no absolute truth and the word of God is a bunch of fables and stories that have been put together. They'll be able to say, no, 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 I've been there. I've seen it, I walked it, I read it and saw it and was there and there's no way you can convince me otherwise. It's historically accurate. Secondly, it is scientifically accurate. The Bible never gives bad science. Even though it was written over 1,600 years that it was written, there is never bad science in the word of God. In fact, when you look through the word of God, you begin to see that even over hundreds of years, what might have been thought to be true by humanity later was proven to be true according to what God said in his word. Johannes Johannes Kepler, a popular mathematician and scientist, says this, Johannes Kepler says, science is simply thinking God's thoughts after him. Science is just thinking God's thoughts after him. Now there's so many proofs, and I don't have time to go into it, but let's be honest, science is constantly changing. Certain medical conditions and and procedures that used to be done one way now are done a totally different way. Why? Science has changed. It's grown. It's morphed. If you ever go to Paris, if you ever go to Paris, you can go to the Louvre, beautiful place. Candy loves it. uh, And and you go on and on and on and on and on. I mean, it's it's days and days and days to walk through the Louvre. Do you know that there are three miles of obsolete science books in the Louvre? Why? Because science is changing and and it's growing and it's morphing and we're discovering new things. I mean, even in our own lifetime, we have seen that happen. How many of you, I'm gonna date us, how many of you remember maybe getting your very first computer and you had to use a floppy disk? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, I mean. Now, which floppy disk did you have? Did you have the big one? Or the real big one, it's where it started. Or the or who got the little like three by five looking one, the hard, right? You know, which we still call floppy discs, but we actually got the name from the floppies before those hard ones. Like kind of like some of you remember, you know, cassette tapes. How many remember cassette tapes? Eight-track? How many remember eight-track, right? You know? You know, how many remember you had to record on a cassette tape your favorite songs, right? With a record button, you know. Do you even have a cassette player anymore? I mean, are they in anybody's car? I mean, don't admit that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's changed, right? All right, I got another one for us. All right, let's have fun. How many remember, how many remember when you would have a chord that would be so long in your house for your telephone. How many remember that? I remember buying a Christmas gift once, I think it was for my, my, my parents or my, 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 my sisters or something. I bought a hundred foot telephone cord so that they could go all over the house with the telephone. Anybody remember that? You know, that was way, 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 way before we ever had cell phones. Now, all of us have a cell phone, right? I mean, that was the day. Man, I remember when they came out with the wireless telephone for the house. That was like the coolest thing. You remember that? I mean, I bought that as a Christmas gift for my mom. I remember that was the coolest, coolest thing. Well, the reality is science is changing. Do you know years ago, 2,600 years ago, the Bible says, 2,600 years ago, the Bible says that the world was a globe, a spear. And yet for years and years and years and years and years, they believed the earth was flat. And then Christopher Columbus showed us that that was not true. Here's one from modern days, Leviticus 13, verse four, says that if there is somebody that's ill, an infected person, Leviticus 13, verse four, says that they should be quarantined for seven days. Now, you thought the CDC made that up. They didn't make that up. The CDC didn't make up quarantining. It was in God's word. God's word shows us that it is scientifically accurate. I got to move on. It's prophetically accurate. Say prophetically. It's prophetically, what do you mean pastor? Well, there are so many prophecies and predictions in the Bible that have come true. I mean, literally thousands and thousands of prophecies that God says was going to happen and they prophetically begin to come true. And there are some that have yet to still come true, but they will come true because it's prophetically accurate. Even on the life of Jesus, there was 300 prophecies about Jesus the Messiah. And it was up to a 1,000 years even before he was born. Things like, prophecies like where he would be born, where he would die, where he would be raised, what kind of of death would he have, the manner in which he would die. And that was hundreds of years, 300 prophecies, 1,000 years even before he was born. He didn't make that up. He didn't just say, I'm the Messiah, and this is gonna happen, and this is gonna happen. No, the prophets of old had declared it. Not only is it prophetically accurate, it's thematically unified. This one's powerful. What do you mean? Is that from the beginning to the end? Genesis to Revelation. I mean, from from the book cover of the front to the very end, we can see that it is unified. Can I hear an amen? It's unified. And the central theme The the same theme runs all the way through and it is the redemption. Jesus is the star and he brings redemption to you and I. Now what's powerful about thematically being unified is that this book was written over 1,600 years. Over 1,600 years. Had 40 different authors. They wrote this on three different continents in three different languages, they did not know each other over those 1600 years, there would be no way that they would know each other. And yet there is one theme, one unity that runs through the entire book. If you were to take the Quran and you would say, well, the Quran is a unified book. Well, of course it is. One man wrote it and it was Muhammad but this was written by over 40 different authors, three different continents, over 1600 years in three different languages and it's unified. The Analects of Confucius was written by one man, Confucius, Buddha, Buddha. Buddha wrote the, 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 the scriptures that they read. Here we're looking at a book. A book that was written by poets and prophets, princes and kings, sailors and soldiers, attorneys, doctors, prisoners, common people like you and I. It was written in homes. It was written in caves. It was written in ships. I mean, you're looking at this. It was written in prisons, and it has one theme all the way through it. Can I just get an amen in the house? Now you're saying, oh, well, that, yeah, okay. Yeah, all right. Well, let me give you an example of what that means. 1,600 years, 40 different authors, let's, you know, and so let's just say that over a 1,600 year period, I give you a piece of paper and I say, listen, I, I want you to rip off whatever you want, a piece of that paper. So you rip off your piece. And then, you know, somebody else uh, 100 years later gets another piece of paper and they rip off one. 50 years later, somebody gets another piece of paper. Different continents, right? different professions, different places. You know, you speak different languages, so you're from different countries. And so you're, you're ripping off your piece of paper. And then at the end of the 1600 years, I collect all of those papers and I get them and I start putting them together like a puzzle. And as I start to put all of those pages that you ripped off, You didn't know each other over a 1,600-year period of time. You rip them off, and I begin to put it together. And when I'm all done putting it together, there is a map of the United States, and every piece that you ripped off was one of the states. You would look at that and go, wow. And yet we look at the Bible and we're being told today that this is not the absolute truth. It's not the the authority that you can build your life on. I'm here to tell you today that God's word is an absolute authority that we can build our lives on. Jesus confirmed it when you look at his life he refers over and over again that heaven and hell uh, heaven and hell will not disappear until the smallest letter the, the the least stroke of the pen will disappear from the law until everything has been accomplished the power that's in this word. It's been survived by all kinds of attacks. It's been banned and outlawed. It's been made illegal. I went into a country as a missionary. My wife and I, we went into Hungary, the nation of Hungary. I know you're getting hungry. don't think about that when I say that. But But we went into the nation of Hungary after communism had fallen. For 54 years, the word of God was banned. No Bibles were being printed. You could not bring a Bible into that nation. All they had was that which they had hidden and they had prior to communism taking over. And yet, can I tell you, today the word of God is still being preached in countries like that. Even today where it's illegal to own a Bible, it's still the word that people are studying because there's power and authority in the word of God. And lastly, why can you trust the Bible I think you being here today and watching today is the evidence is because it is the transforming power. It's the transforming power that has transformed your life and my life. Nothing changes people's lives like the word of God. I mean, we've all heard stories of individuals that came into a service where the word of God was being preached. Maybe they came in drunk, maybe they came in high, maybe they came in their life was broken and and devastated. They were addicted to drugs or alcohol. There was something that had brought them to the brink of, of losing all hope in their life and the word of God was being preached and as it was being preached, something happened and their life was transformed. Some of us in this room, that's our story today. You see, I believe we can trust the word of God. Now, biblically, I wanna take you over to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is Paul answering the same question using different words that I'm answering today. He's writing back to a question that the church in Corinth had the church in Corinth had a question and and the question that they had and that they were wrestling with was the issue of the resurrection. You see, some in the church were beginning to say that they were beginning to deny that the resurrection really had taken place. They logically were saying that, that that's impossible. They made that up. There's no way. And so Paul is having to address this issue. And he's really dealing with the issue of absolute truth here. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, now brothers, Paul writes, I want to remind you, to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. I preached it, and you took your stand. For by this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word that I preached. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. So if Paul was to be asked, is there absolute truth? His answer is yes. And he's going to use the argument of what we call authority. The argument of authority has two, if if it would be, aspects to it. It's first of all, the authority of his apostleship. See, Paul was a scholar and in that day, he was a very learned man, highly, highly respected, would have been very skilled in, in, in the literature of the day. So as a former prosecutor or a terrorist of the church, he is saying, I preached this to you and this transformed your life and there is authority in it. And that's the second part of the authority is the authority that's in the word of God that we've been talking about. And Paul says, yes, this is powerful. I preached it to you. You received it. And when you did, you took your stand he's saying, why are you questioning this? What is happening? Why are you thinking this? Because it was by this gospel that you are saved. And then he deals with, I think, what is what we're dealing with today. And that is if though, you're saved by it, if you hold on firmly to it. If you don't hold on firmly to it, he says your faith will be in vain. So in our box, if we begin to think all roads lead to God, you're denying the gospel. If in our box we begin to say, we've gotta be tolerant and accept their practice and what they're doing and that they're right and, I, and what I'm doing is what I do and what you do is what you're doing, all roads lead to God, he says that's not the gospel. It's not the gospel that I preach to you. It's not the gospel that will save you and if you allow that to get into your box and into your corner, then your faith is in vain. What you're doing is in vain. He says, you can only be saved by this gospel that I preach to you. It's the only way that you can be saved. The gospel is called the good news. It's called the kingdom of God, the grace of God, the gospel of God, the gospel of Christ, the glorious gospel, the everlasting gospel. Here we call it the message of hope. And that's why we say you're messengers of hope. Nudge somebody, point to them, say you're a messenger of hope. You're a messenger of the gospel. So when we say, Paul would say to the church of Corinth, when you say there's no resurrection, when you say that there's no absolute truth, when you say, well, I believe this, but I don't believe that. I don't believe in the resurrection, but I I believe this. When you say that, you're saying, I believe this part. I don't believe that part. What you're doing is you're discounting what is the true and powerful word of God. And you can't, he says, you can't do that. Because if you do that, your faith is in vain. If you do that, your faith is not being built upon that, which is the truth. And the truth is that God's word will save you and deliver you, but you have to believe it because God has delivered it to you and there's an authority that's there the absolute authority, the argument of authority. The second argument he's gonna go into is an argument of what we call evidence. Now, I talked to you about it a moment ago, the evidence of history, the evidence of science, the evidence that we have over and over thematically. There is the uh, argument of evidence. Look in verse three of 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received, I passed to you as first, most important, what is that? which is most important, that Christ died for our sins according to what? To the scriptures. And he was buried. He died for our sins. You don't get buried if you haven't died. He was, he, he was crucified. He died for our sins. He was buried. And then he was raised on the third day. He's gonna go in a moment and say there's an evidence that he was raised. There was an empty tomb. There was over 500 witnesses to the resurrection and it was according to the scriptures. And verse five, he appeared to Peter, then to the 12, and then he appeared to more than 500 believers at the same time, most who are still living at the time of that writing. He says, though now some have fallen asleep, He appeared then to James and to the apostles. And lastly, he appeared to me. So Paul is saying, listen, not only is there an argument of authority, but there's an argument of evidence and the evidence is the eyewitnesses. So he's saying, listen, you can't stay in your box and decide for yourself what is the evidence and what is not the evidence. He says, no, it doesn't work that way fact, over in the book of Luke, turn with me, click over there. I wanna show you, and I'm winding down here in a moment, but I have to finish this for us. In Luke chapter one, verse one, look what Luke, the doctor says. Many, many have undertaken to draw up an account. They tried to gather an account of the things that have happened and that have been fulfilled among us. So many are trying to tell the story of what happened just as they were handed down to us by those who first were eyewitnesses and servants of the Lord. Therefore, since I myself carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, my most excellent Theophilus. Why? Verse four, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So Luke, the doctor says, listen, I'm putting this together so that you would know the certainty, the absolute truth of what has taken place. Let's look at another author. Go with me over to 1 John. 1 John, John is the author First John chapter 1, he says that which was from the beginning, which you have heard, which you have seen, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. That's Christ. The life appeared. We have seen it. We testify to it and we proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and he has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we've seen, what we heard, so that you also can have fellowship with us. And with us, our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. So what are you saying? John is saying, we saw, we heard, we touched, It happened, God's son came and it was a gift for you and me. So there's the argument of evidence. Now, if I were to walk through the rest of 1 Corinthians 15 here, he would begin, and I don't have time to do it. I have it in my notes, but I don't have time. He would begin to walk through, he's already told us there was 500 witnesses, unfalsified. It cannot be, be falsified in any way, 500 witnesses. And he would now begin to go through what I call the argument of logic. If you were to go down to verse 12 and study it, 12 to 17, he would begin to give you seven logical arguments, logical proofs to the resurrection. And he would say, our preaching is useless if there's no resurrection. Your faith is in vain if there's no resurrection he would go on to say that not only is your faith in vain, but he would begin to say, I am a liar. I'm a false witness. If Christ hasn't atoned you of your sin, if there was no resurrection, what are you basing your faith on? And he says, it would be in vain. You would have no hope. No one would have hope. And therefore our hope is all gone and we would be pitied by all men. We would be pitied by all men. So what does this mean for us? in our final moments, this is what it is, is that when we are in our box, in our corner, and, and we're walking through life in our faith, when there are conflicts, because now it begins to come into our, our box, into our corner, and, 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 and there's a conflict between what the Bible says, and maybe what I feel, or what I believe, or what the opinions of others may say, or what the news or the media or what other things are, that are uh, that around me are, are saying, maybe what the government says is right or wrong. When there's a difference of opinion, how do I resolve the conflict? Well, today I hope that I can propose to you that the word of God is the absolute truth. And as it's the absolute truth, you and I can build our lives upon it. But you gotta settle today. You gotta settle in your heart that the word of God is the absolute truth. So in the final moments, if it's the absolute truth, if it's the guidebook for you, if it's what's gonna guide you and lead you, it's what's gonna shape your mind, your thoughts, it's gonna transform you, it's gonna renew your mind and your thinking and make you more like Christ. If it's through the scriptures, the word of God, then how do you build your life on this? Well, James tells you very easily I don't have time to read it, but James says in James 1, verse 19 through 25, that if you're going to build your life on the Bible, the word of God, the scriptures, then first of all, you've got to receive it into your life. Say, receive it. You got to accept it into your heart and into your life. And that word accept is actually a a hospitality term like you're welcoming a stranger. You're welcoming the word of God into your life. You're inviting it to come in. And as it comes in, there's an attitude of acceptance. You got to receive it. James will go on secondly to say, you got to remember it. Remembering it means you got to study it. You gotta look intently into it. You gotta read it. You gotta reflect on it. You gotta journal about it. You gotta circle words and underline some things. You gotta look at it, James would say, like a mirror. And it reflects what's in your life. And if you do it and you continue to do it, as you do it, it'll change you, it'll transform you, it'll mold you as you hide the word into your heart. It helps you to overcome temptation. It gives you victory and power. It gives you peace as you walk through life, as you go through the situations of life. As you reflect on it, as you remember it, as you allow it to get into your spirit, it renews your mind. And lastly, then you gotta respond to it. What does respond to it mean is I gotta be a doer of the word. Not just a hearer, but a doer. That's the problem in the church today is many are hearing, but they're not living it and doing what it says. We become doers of the word of God. And when we make that commitment, I guarantee you, you'll build your life on God's word. Can I get an amen in the house? Stand with me across this room. I know our time has slipped away. The greatest, greatest, greatest thing that could happen at the end of this service, is I hope that there is a commitment, a conviction. I hope that in your spirit, there is an assurance with confidence that the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, are the absolute truth for you. That you'll build your life on it. You'll receive it. You'll begin to remember it by studying it. You'll respond to it by doing and acting upon what it says that we should do and that there will be a renewed commitment to the word today. Now, why am I saying that? You see, pastor, I know that. The reason is we have a problem in the church today. The problem is people say that this is the absolute truth, but they're not living their lives according to it. They're living their lives in contrary and they're justifying and rationalizing. And then they come in and they understand why, why, why am I not walking in the blessings of God? It's because God's word has not been the foundation of our lives. It's not been the thing that drives us, directs us, guides us, and points the path for us. We don't let it transform us. So today, my prayer is that God, through your word, you will transform us. And that there'll be a renewed commitment to the word of God today. Father, as we come to our final moments, what a powerful service today. Thank you for speaking and moving and ministering. Thank you, Lord, for the revelation of the word today. And I pray, God, that it will change us and transform us. And most of all, there'll be a commitment within me, within us, a renewed commitment to allow your word to be the absolute truth for our lives. Father, we make that commitment to you today. We love you, we praise you. I thank you, Father, for I know that your word is the transforming work of the Spirit of God. That through your word, the word of God, the Holy Scriptures, we see Jesus. Through the scriptures, we develop the nature of Christ. Through the scriptures, we develop the character of Christ. Through your scriptures, we find peace and hope. We find salvation and forgiveness. Through your scriptures, we find the answers to life. Today, let us be convinced there is, there is absolute truth. And it's found in the Holy Bible, the Word of God, the Scriptures. We declare that today. And all God's people said, Amen. Come on, give the Lord praise with me. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.